Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 221, the September 1987 issue on sale June 9th of 1987. Uh, this one's got a 75 cent cover price and it is titled Death by Drowning, which you know is the only way you can kill Wolverine, right? Uh, that's what I've been told a few times, yes. So I'm, in, I'm imagining this is all about Wolverine. <laughs> and the, the first attempt to kill him or the discovery that this is the only way that he can be killed? Yes. Uh, do you predict that he dies at the end of the issue? I, I predict that he dies at the end of an issue. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Not this one, because I saw the cover for the next one. Oh, you looked ahead. I couldn't help it. It's, <laughs> it's all in one book. Turn the page and everything's ruined. So this is an interesting cover. Um, overall, I like it. It's basically Havoc in the background. His powers are going crazy, and Wolverine is being blasted towards us uh, with his claws drawn. And a couple of interesting things uh, about this. Um, first of all, it's a perspective shot of Wolverine, uh, meaning obviously his legs are smaller than his, uh, torso. And I think from a perspective, uh, which I imagine is very difficult to draw. Like I, I feel like this one's nailed Sylvestrian green for the win here. It's pretty good. Now, the things that I have some problems with, uh, are Wolverine's fangs, which, um, he doesn't have. Silvestri is a proponent of fangs, as as we will learn in this very issue. <laughs> also, Wolverine has a patch of armpit hair that I find distracting. Oh, well, I've read this comic book a hundred times probably, and I have never noticed his armpit hair. <laughs> it's there. I feel like Havoc's plasma blast would have melted that hair right off. <laughs> if it's uh, if it's lighting Wolverine on fire, then yeah, it definitely would have. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. Um, again, minor quips. Like overall, this is a great uh, Silvestri and Green cover uh, for my money. It's just there's some oddities with with uh, design choices in Wolverine, and they're not bad. It's just that they're uh, uh, they're just different. Yeah, yeah. I also don't like the fact that the um, one of the Havoc uh, light irises, if you will, is over the top of Wolverine. Oh. That's what? just weird. Okay. Because you have, you have your pers- – like it throws off the perspective for me hmm. because the, 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 the line coming di- directly off the circle going downward, uh, it seems like it's at an unusual angle. And so over the top, I, I, th- I would think that it would be much wider hmm. at the very bottom to, to continue. Continue the perspective. So that throws off the perspective for me. But, you know, I'm not an art critic, so whatever. <laughs> well, you just criticized some art, so I believe that makes you an art critic. I ain't making no money for this. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? I've never really noticed or cared about that. But now that you uh, so eloquently put that out there, um, I see what you mean. The the little plasma beam uh, should be much wider towards the end. But uh, the other thing about this is it's using this blue color that, I don't know, it, for like issue 200 to 225, there's like three or four that have like a big solid blue and this particular shade of blue. I don't know if they were having like a, a sale on this sort of ink back in the day and they're just like, make all the covers blue. It was the X-Men's blue period there. I threw it in an art joke. Ah, so yeah, we crack this thing open. Uh, Chris Claremont is the writer. Mark Silvestri and Dan Green are the artists. Tom Orzakowski is the letter. Uh, Glynis Oliver is the colorist. Anna Senti is the editor. Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And whoa, if you wanted to know what Mr. Sinister looked like, boom, you got your wish granted. At least for the face. Well, the costume, as we'll learn, is wrong. <laughs> is it? Well, it's not wrong. It's just the coloring is different. Okay. Then it... Than it would later become. Okay. Uh, like the Mr. Sinister that I would get that that I think becomes the Mr. Sinister is colored slightly differently. Okay. I mean, just like any hero, I mean, some villains go through some overhauls. Uh, but, yeah. But this was, I mean, I, I met Mr. Sinister, so to say, as he was being developed because these were my formative issues. So... Uh, when I look at Mr. Sinister, like this is Mr. Sinister. I've seen some later, uh, 
like like two thousands, mid two thousands, Mister Sinister issues where I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> he looks different. He's doing different things. This isn't Mister Sinister. Isn't the diamond in his head red, or is that not a thing? Uh no, it's black, Adam. Because this is the first appearance of Mister Sinister. Like this is Mister Sinister. I don't like this drawing. Um, honestly, I think it's a little bit square. Um, his neck is extremely thick. Uh, it. I don't like the teeth. Um, the lips are okay, I, I guess. <laughs> it's, he looks like he is touring with the cure. <laughs> it's definitely uh, Dracula-esque, um, pasty-faced. I got to be honest, I, I think, you know, what they were shooting for here was kind of a shock factor of just like this very powerful, evil-looking person who the Marauders report to, uh, whose name has been dropped before as Mr. Sinister. But I feel as though as we proceed with this issue and future uh, appearances of Mr. Sinister, his mouth will be shut in kind of a brooding face and we'll never see these spiky teeth again. I could be wrong, but I don't recall ever seeing them after this. My first impression is... The, is is Colossus a vampire? Yeah, it's kind of Colossus-y. In fact, I feel like in like one of the Earth X or Universe X or Paradise X things, like they alluded to Colossus being Mr. Sinister and Nightcrawler being Belasco and other similar characters that in fact were actually those characters. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't remember how it played out, but anyways, yes, there's a very... Uh, very strong Colossus vibe going on here. And we also see here as we go to the next page that Mr. Sinister has an enormous uh, technological base of operations with no guardrails. <laughs> it is sort of like Cerebro in the first X-Men movie. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Just like wide open, less, a little less spherical though. Kind of reminds me of every Star Trek movie or Star Wars fight scene where there's just dangerous platforms for no reason. Yeah. That <laughs> um, also reminds me of uh, Forge's uh, building from last issue. Ah, so either Silvestri or Claremont or, I don't know, just artists in general, like, let's do wide open technological spaces that make no sense. And what I said that this was 87, right? So Empire Strikes Back has come out. Oh my gosh. Return of the Jedi is long past. Okay. Well, this this reminds me of Empire Strikes Back specifically. So sure. Uh, yeah. So the Marauders here are here, and uh, Mister Sinister is scolding them for failing at their mission. Conveniently for new listeners, he uh, names all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the newest edition Polaris is there. So uh, for you listeners who can't remember who the Marauders are, they are Scrambler, Arclight, Scalp Hunter, Vertigo, Sabretooth, Harpoon, and Polaris. Everybody else we didn't talk about was killed, I guess, in the Morlock Tunnels or quit. <laughs> do you get a uh, sort of apocalypse vibe from this whole thing? What do you mean? I, I, he's got a he's got a band to troopers he's got some sort of mission he has molded them into the deadliest fighting forces the world has ever seen offered power beyond imagination i just it feels sort of apocalypsey to me i feel like both x-men and x-factor no longer have a magneto so through this portion of their runs they're developing a new magneto and so yes mm -hmm. x factor gets apocalypse as a magneto and the x men are getting a mr sinister i take i have i have a, a, a beef with his one of the deadliest fighting forces the world has ever seen yeah what's that <laughs> they're not <laughs> Well, they killed a lot of Morlocks. I mean, yeah, I guess they effectively killed a lot of extremely weak people. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, when it comes to comic books, I feel like the blood or the body count in this issue is probably significantly higher than any other Marvel title that I know of anyways. Uh, that doesn't make them deadly. That just <laughs> them makes them, I don't know, uh, murderous. Okay. Uh, I mean, if you're homeless, you better watch out. <laughs> yeah, these these mercenaries will kill the heck out of you. Down on your luck, look out for the marauders. But, and now, that irony, I guess, is really not lost on Mr. Sinister, because as you said, he's offered power and money and all sorts of stuff. But yet, this woman, Madeline Pryor, she survives your execution. You botched it. Yeah, how can I expect you to fare against the Avengers or the Fantastic Four? And you you failed to eliminate the X-Men. Yeah. So 
But what Mr. Sinister doesn't know is that Madeline Pryor and the X-Men are the main characters of this comic book. Right. And uh, Sabretooth, yeah, he's all mad. He's like, no one talks to Sabretooth like that. And so he attacks Mr. Sinister. Uh, Mr. Sinister doesn't doesn't even look his way, just reaches out a hand and grabs him by the neck and holds him up in the air and continues on his little diatribe about Ms. Pryor being alive, regaining consciousness, asking questions. And then Mr. Sinister says it does very little good to obliterate every trace of her existence if the woman herself is spared. So yeah, now we learn that Mr. Sinister is responsible for all the stuff that's been going on in Cyclops' life in X-Factor. Boom. So, uh, kind of, kind of a, a scene that makes a little less of Sabretooth. Oh, well, yeah. Sabretooth has definitely dropped a a peg because he's, he's kind of made to look like a bitch here. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's the point, right? So he does this in front of the rest of the Marauders be like, uh, you can challenge me, little man. Does anybody else want to challenge me? Because... I'm Mr. Sinister. It's kind of, I mean, I, I guess it showcases that Mr. Sinister, Mr. S- Sinister, Sinister, Cynical is a, uh, is a tough guy, but like how long before we actually see him in action? Do we ever see him in action? I have no idea what Mr. Sinister is like in action. I, I have never seen Mr. Sinister in action. I think I've seen him posture a lot. Yes. I He's don't... very good at posturing. He's the best posturer there is. <laughs> That's his power, posturing. <laughs> I don't know what his powers are. Uh, apparently, he's really strong, and he's tall. Um, and, and here he wears purple and green. A purple suit with, like, big blue boots, uh, green belt, kind of a green, not really a star, but like a, I don't know, whatever. Stuff. I want to say that the, the, the body armor is very Silvestri-esque. Yeah, horizontal or actually vertical lines. Uh, And then he's got like these uh, streamers or whatever coming out of his back that uh, are kind of cape-like, but depending on the angle, almost look like wings as well. Don't know what's going on there. No. And then he's got a huge uh, a, a cowl that goes up around his, uh, well, his neck. I feel like he keeps the cowl and loses the streamers. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you, you, we haven't seen this design in a movie because I don't think it would work in a movie, uh, but drawn out on the page and I don't know, I think it somewhat works as a costume. Again, I I mean, I just, I just feel like it won't, it won't, it won't last. Like not all of these elements will last, but I'm not sure about that. So I don't remember Uh, what I say with a grain of salt. (laughs) A lot of what's happening here though is, uh, again, what you say is posturing. We don't really, we still don't know why he's doing what he's doing. And honestly, I don't even know that we care (laughs) why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. It's just sort of a motivation for the, uh, marauders to go finish the job uh we know where we know where madeline Pryor is go get her go kill the woman or else i'll kill you Mm, he doesn't say that does he he just says the woman is to be killed well okay he he says say mess with sinister and your history which is in reference to sabertooth oh there we go yeah yeah. well sabertooth isn't dead no he's not dead but (laughs) he he drops him to the ground like a like a mic drop and uh, Sabretooth gasps. <laughs> so elsewhere, um, we get a multi-page fight between Dazzler and Rogue. Rogue's wearing her old costume when she was a bad woman in the pages of Dazzler. And they're fighting for some reason. And they're fighting on some sort of Dazzler stage. Uh, all the keyboards and drum kits, and her name is up in lights. So it's kind it's, of the, it looks like it's a big theater. Again, it's it's another crossroads of like where she could have gone, but where she actually is. Uh, yeah, and so they end up fighting, wrecking a bunch of the stage equipment. Dazzler talks about giving her all and her concentrated photon blasts, which I guess is a new thing because she says she's testing it out later. Yes. Uh, so she's able to do like a really strong blast on Rogue, who goes flying. She's um, she's uh, uh, stunned, and her her eyes are she's she's a little bit blinded. This has pretty much taken everything out of Dazzler. She's pretty weak, and Rogue, you know, she's Rogue, right? So she recovers, and she's like, "Now it's my turn, Dazzler." Rogue and Dazzler both wearing full body suits. Seems a little lazy, but okay. <laughs> I think this kind of becomes Dazzler's new suit for a while. Yeah, yeah. The full-on blue with the uh, 
with the yellow flame in the middle that, that we learned in the pages of Dazzler is there to focus and concentrate her power, but they never talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's a special suit Professor Xavier, I think, made for her. It's especially stupid when you get a side boob shot and it's on her boob. <laughs> oh, it's a really wide flame. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yeah, there's actually a couple of side boobs uh, where the flame or whatever you want to call it just gets larger and larger. It's growing. Yeah. It's like venom. It, it moves over to wherever the shot needs it to be. So as Rogue is getting up, Dazzler shoots some stage lights that falls on her. Um, she's like, well, I'll... and then we've learned that this is actually the danger room. Um, it gets set back to normal, much to Dazzler's surprise. And then she realizes that the rogue that we know and love in her black tights and green skirt and, I don't know, tank top suit is like, girl, what you playing at? Cast me as the villain. <laughs> you got some nerve. So, yeah, we learn that they're back at Xavier's mansion while Storm is on her solo mission. And, uh... So Dazzler thinks it is kind of cute. She's like, look, we you used to come after me for no reason whatsoever. So I thought it was appropriate for me to train with you. Dazzler's like, or Rogue's like, I was crazy back in those days. I'm better now. We're supposed to be teammates. Why won't you bury the hatchet between us? And Dazzler's like, no, this is personal. The blaze is with the team. This is between you and me. Dazzler's and like, I'll bury that hatchet right in your back. <laughs> They're about to go head-to-head in an interesting panel where they're both super skinny. Yes. Uh, it's very Silvestri-esque again. <laughs> this is what I think of when I think of uh, Silvestri, is very tall, exceedingly skinny women who are always posing. I like it. Yeah. I mean, I like the fact that they're always posing. There's something about posing that I kind of dig. That's, probably That's what comics are about, I guess. It's probably fun to draw poses, too, rather than just yeah. people standing around. And they're about to do the fight when Psylocke interrupts with her little psychic butterfly and is like, uh, Wolverine has summoned us. We have a mission. There is trouble. We flip our attention to the Grand Canyon where Naze is, I don't know, concocting his plan. He's reminding us of last month's happenings. Uh, just that Forge is taken over by some sort of demon. Storm is the only one who can either save him or... Um, kill him for some reason and Naze's plans to uh, break her to his will. This subplot like I've just never ever gotten into. I yeah, I've having read all these issues, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> it's very forgettable and the reason I think it, it, it's so forgettable is because Naze is introduced like way back in either the 170s or 180s as a good guy, just whatever, a a good uh, Native American chief, and then is immediately in that same issue corrupted into whatever, I can't even remember the evil people that took him over. And since that issue has been evil, but only in like a couple of pages, like every five issues. So you never get to know him. You don't really care. (laughs) I mean, it's not like... Like, if this was Forge, you'd be more interested, right? Because we had a couple of issues to get to know him, and then he went bad. But we didn't ever get that backstory with Naze. We can't even pronounce his damn name. Yeah, I I'm, I say Naze, but whatever. Uh, yeah, and he's constantly reminding us of what he's doing here, which is never a good sign. No. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. And... And I, and I think it's changed. Like, the people that originally took him over, I don't think those are the same people that they're dealing with now. Um, or just, at least it doesn't sound like it, because that, like that was like a ROM Space Knight Oh, yeah, yeah. Thing. The Dark Ones or... I and don't I, don't, I don't think that's what this is. This is like the adversary, and he talks about Dormammu, and I don't know if Dormammu even relates to it, or if that's just a reference to Doctor Strange. Well, it's just a reference that this was an area that Dormammu and Doctor Strange used, so I guess there's spiritual elements left over. But the adversary's been introduced as like a new thing, right, that, what, corrupted Forge? But he's bad already, and I think he's bad from those issues. Like, he, his spirit was taken over by those things. And maybe it'll all wrap around to, like, the adversaries behind everything. I don't remember, but I guess my point is is that this stuff is is kind of rough for me to pay attention to. Uh, and, and I think I, I think why. part of the problem is and and I think it's that they're not giving us enough information to care. I think that's We know something's mm-hmm. going on, but we don't really know what. So it's just like, okay, once something actually starts happening that I can grab onto, maybe then I'll care. 
but so far you haven't really given me much of anything. Yeah. I mean, I care about Storm, but right. that's about it. And to a lesser degree, I mean, I think we've we've had enough issues with Forge, which with you could actually care about Forge as well. But, but yeah. again, neither character is being played out. It's just Najee talking about demons and yeah so so i don't i don't really know what's where this is going or what this is about yet and so storm pulls up in a rented jeep and she's like hey i saw you up there talking to yourself what's going on man (laughs) you're weird (laughs) and he's like oh i was offering prayers for our journey we gotta go get forge so here's the spirit path let's take it yeah they chatted and they, they turns out they have to walk to the spirit path and then eventually they're going to probably have to leave their bodies or something. Um, and then Najee hits on her and like, hey, since you and Forger quits, maybe I'll give it a shot some, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give it a shot myself someday. And it's just creepy and weird. Well, Storm's like, you are welcome to try, she says with a half smirk. Which is also weird. <laughs> weird <laughs> i'll do far better than try my lovely and when i've succeeded you'll be forever bound to meet storm spirit and soul so i want to i want to see storm's thought bubble in this where she's like creepy old geezer it's like yuck so yeah again like whatever's happening is intertwined with forge and storm uh and we don't know why <laughs> yeah so anyways back to san francisco the X-Men have left the mansion, flown across the country, and they are staking out a hospital. Havoc's the all, hospital where Madeline Pryor is. Havoc's all like, what's going on? Why won't you talk to us? Why are you taking us across the country? Just because you're the leader doesn't mean we need to follow you blindly. It's sort of bizarre that he didn't really, like, cue them in on things. They've, they were probably in the plane for a couple hours. Yeah, I mean, it, from yeah. New York to San Francisco, it's a, it's a flight I've never made before, but I've gone halfway across the country, and it's a couple hours, so I imagine even in that Blackbird, it's, it's probably a three-and-a-half-hour, four-hour trip. I mean, you're, and you're, what, you're going uh, east to west, right? So aren't you, like, flying into all the headwinds? <laughs> anyway, my point is, is, yes, did Wolverine, like, get into the plane, and everyone's like, what are we doing, Wolverine? He's like, quiet, bubs, I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, Havoc says, you dragged us uh, halfway across or across the country with hardly a word of explanation. I mean, they know they know the Madeline Pryor is in the hospital. Do they? But that seems like it's about it. Yeah, because um, Betsy is uh, telepathically scanning for her. Yeah, but then Wolverine reveals everything. He's like, we're here, Havoc, because I got a call from your brother's wife, real angry, real scared, uh, demanding to know why Cyclops dumped her and took their baby. So he didn't give those details out. I mean, I feel like even if, if Wolverine was like, hey, we got to go to San Francisco to get Madeline Pryor, the X-Men would be like, all right. Well, I mean, they, he must have said, I mean, maybe he just said it outside of this building. Uh, but but uh, Betsy does say, my telepathic scan has located Miss Pryor. Uh, quite frantic, too. Evidently, all records of her existence have disappeared. Yeah, it's... So, I mean, Havoc is right there. He heard that. <laughs> maybe... Wolverine told because everybody else is chill like Rogue's getting her gloves on long shots just hanging out uh, Dazzler's kind of sulking and Psylocke is doing her little tele- tele- telepathic scanning maybe Wolverine told everybody but Havoc <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then he, yeah, he keeps going and says uh, we're playing cagey because she said she was nailed by Scalp Hunter and Arclight because she read the files and knows exactly who those two people are Oh, I'm sure when they kidnapped her, they were like, hey, I'm Scalp Hunter. Because <laughs> the rule of comics is right. if, if, if it's your first appearance, you have to say who you are. Uh, we'll, we'll get that a few times in this very issue. Yeah. And that's when Havoc's like, Marauders, gold star <laughs> for you. And that's when Psylocke is alerted to uh, that Madeline's uh, condition and the fact that there are Marauders in the hospital. Scattered near the hospital and two are inside already. Rogue go, says Wolverine, and she takes off. I guess I am a little curious, like, why they are staking out the hospital. Like, why didn't they just, like... Go inside the hospital? Go in the hospital and get Madeline and leave. Um, My guess is Marvel Method, uh, Sylvester drew them on a building. Okay, good, yeah. So Rogue flies in, and Sabretooth is... She says, hiya, Sabretooth! Yeah. Which we'll we'll get some more uh, people introducing themselves. 
Sabretooth is kind of, I don't know, monkeyishly standing in the hallway like, whoo? And he, he gets uh, knocked out of the building. Whammo! And then uh, she breaks into a hospital room. She sees Scalp Hunter holding a gun to Ms. Pryor's head. Uh, the Give nurse, up, Scalp Hunter. The nurse in the corner has already been shot. And instead of Scalp Hunter, like, just shooting <sighs> Madeline Pryor, he turns the gun on, da- on Rogue and says, nope. Want to bet? You're the one who is going to be finished. Yeah, showing how effective the Marauders are. I could just shoot this person in the head, which is my mission. Yeah, but... mission accomplished. <coughs> and these X-Men, it's not like they're going to kill me. Yeah, I'll get punched out the window, but then I'll just go back to Mr. Sinister and get my money and my power. So Rogue gets blasted out the door, um, and that's when Madeline Pryor is able to get the drop on Scalp Hunter by grabbing the food tray and slapping him in the face with it. Ain't you the feisty little sweetheart, says Scalp Hunter, and uh, attempts to grab her as she jumps out of the hospital, but she turns around and punches him in the jaw. Uh, somehow, oh, she's running by the window, so he gets he's kind of maneuvering himself in front of a window. And this is kind of where I develop uh, my fandom for Madeline Pryor, because... Every other time we've seen her in either X-Men or the one issue of X-Factor she was in, she was all about Scott. Oh, Scott, I love you so much. We're so wonderful. You and me, Scott, all the time, Scott. And finally here, she's, she's, she's scrappy. She's feisty. She's able to take care of herself. Well, she was scrappy in the beginning too. Remember, she was a, she was a tough as nails pilot and she was all like cool and calm and she went on that boat mission with Scott and stuff. Yeah. This is just getting her back to her roots. And I think in the the ambulance uh, scene from a couple issues ago, she escaped the Marauders. She, she knocked them around a little bit. True, true. She's tough as nails. But she's, I mean, a, she's, a, she's a Claremont girl. Yeah. Well, I think she, she was losing her way maybe uh, early on in her run. Uh, as being kind of a one-dimensional, all about Scott character, and and well, yeah, she would. There was the whole like Phoenix thing that they played around with that kind of made her lose her identity. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, this is she's able to get him in front of the window, which gives Dazzler the opportunity to use a solid photon blast to shoot him in the back. And this time, it doesn't tire her out because Betsy is monitoring her power so that she wouldn't use too much energy. Um, and also she is, uh, I guess, telekinetically showing her where to shoot. Yeah. Monitored the power so she wouldn't use too much energy or kill the man, which, like, really? At that point, aren't you like, let, like <laughs> I mean, I get it. They're the good guys, but these the, the Marauders, as we learned earlier, are one of the deadliest villains ever. Especially Betsy, who has up to this point been like, let's kill him. I wish you'd kill him. <laughs> And Maybe we get she had a change of heart. We get a little teamwork thing. Like that's why we're a team, so that we can use our yeah. various abilities to complement one another. X Men team, yay! And that's when Logshot points out that behind them is Vertigo, who does her Vertigo stuff. And uh, Longshot reacts by doing what his instinctually thinks is the right thing to do, which is to grab the two ladies, Psylocke and Dazzler, and jump off of the building. Yes. And he says, this just sort of felt right. And he uses his, what do you call this thing? Grappling like a hook. Spear, grappling hook. And he grabs on to uh, some sort of balcony type thing. It's like a fire escape. And they land on a parapet of some sort. Yes. I don't know what those are called. An is awning. That, that an awning. Yeah. Yeah. This I have no words for this page. Apparently. And then he lifts, lands on a truck that looks like it could dump things filled with sand. What do you call those things, Adam? <laughs> uh, uh, truck dumper? Ve- vehicle. <laughs> yeah. So they land in that, which is filled with either sawdust or sand. But whatever it is, it's a nice soft landing for them. Thus illustrating Longshot's incredible luck. And we get, uh, these panels are kind of fun because uh, Longshot is pretty much a black silhouette in all of them. And uh, Psylocke is sort of a pink silhouette, and Dazzler is a blue silhouette. So we just kind of see these shapes flying around. Yep. It's it's fun. Yeah. And that's when Harpoon uh, gets introduced. Some snazzy circus stunt. A a Harpoon? I thought Harpoon got killed. I got killed. uh, 
Prism. Is that who Colossus broke the back of? Was that Prism? That was the spinny person who oh, yeah. shot out spinny, stars. Spinny knives guy. Spinny knives guy or girl? Spinny knives person. Okay, yes. <laughs> uh, and we also learn a little bit more about Harpoon's skills here. He says, as his Harpoon leaves the Eskimo's hand... Steel is instantly transmuted to energy. So he doesn't just throw harpoons around. He transmutes metal to energy and just also He's, happens to be a cliche because Eskimos, don't they hunt fish with uh, harpoons? Uh, yeah. So I feel, yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's kind of being pigeonholed in the, into the whole uh, Eskimo thing. Who was the guy in G.I. Joe who... Quinn. This is probably, yeah, Quinn, Quinn the Eskimo. Right. Oh, which is probably based on the Bob Dylan song now that I think about it. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so everybody, <laughs> everything comes from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Psylocke is hit by one of these solid, um, but actually none of this makes any sense because, well, I guess it well, does. A, a spear of fire that makes Psylocke feel as though her nervous system has been doused in acid. Well, and harpoon. as a reaction, she's she's still connected to all the X-Men and they all feel it as well. So Harpoon used harpoons to pin Angel to the subway walls. So I guess he did not transmute them into energy? Yeah, he can choose what he transmutes. Hmm. I feel like... He's like early prototype Gambit. Like, why would he Why would he bother transmuting this to energy if he, if he hit so sure, like the metal would have gone through her and killed her? Well, maybe he has better aim when he transmutes. Hmm. Okay. And he wasn't... He, like, they're far enough away that he wasn't sure if... He could hit her with a spear. Well, the pain psychically emanates through the rest of the X-Men. We see this more so featured in Havoc and Wolverine, who are in the hospital trying to find Madeline, uh, and they they effectively double over in pain. Nothing wrong with us. Only a side projection of Psylocke's hurt. It's more than I can stand. And Wolverine's like, man. I thought Havoc would be cast from the same mold as his big brother. What if I'm wrong? Suppose he can't hack it as an X-Man. And uh, Havoc thinks I have to get a hold of myself. Team's counting on me. Don't let him, can't let him down. And Yeah, let's be honest. And, like, is the team really counting on Havoc at this point? No, nah, I don't think so. Like, but, what, you what, know. what is his contribution in this plan? Like, Typical Summers boy. He thinks the whole thing is about him. <laughs> oh, all right. Fair enough. And that's uh, Scrambler shows up behind him with a self-introduction. Hi there, I'm Scrambler. Yep. All I have to do is touch people and I make their powers go absolutely crazy in case you weren't familiar with my power set. And so he touches Havoc and his powers do go absolutely crazy, blasting Wolverine towards us. in a Just like on the cover, except yeah. at a different angle. And less good. And without Scrambler or with Scrambler. Yeah. And maybe Scrambler should have been on the cover. Uh, so the whole hospital now is is pretty much ruined. Uh, there's little havoc blasts coming out every angle of the hospital. Uh, Wolverine is down, presumably dead, and Scrambler throws havoc into a hole, figuring that he'll hit all the way at the bottom of the hospital. I guess there are many floors up, uh, but he actually lands one floor down, precariously balanced on a hole. Scrambler's like, eh. I could go down there and push you the rest of the way, but when you wake up and roll over, you'll probably just die. And honestly, I mean, he's he's going to go do the mission, which is he's like the smartest one. Yeah. And so in, in, in the, uh, the third to last panel, he's like puts his hands in his pockets, kind of cinches up his jacket. And he's like, yep. And that's how it's done. Now I just got to go finish off Maddie. Talk to Mr. Sinister. Scrambler on the job. But I could try to figure out how to get down to the next floor and kick Havoc over, but I'm going to focus on the actual mission. (laughs) And as he is walking away all cocksure, Madeline comes along and smacks him in the back of the head with one of uh, Scalp Hunter's guns. Sorry, creep, I don't die easy. Can you say the same? And that's when Arclight shows up and uh, she does her Arclighty power, makes an earthquake. Yeah, we learned that the Marauders have a open channel microtransceiver set implanted in their uniforms so they can all hear what each other's doing, which I would imagine would just be really annoying. Yeah. Why is everybody introducing themselves? (laughs) (laughs) They're making a lot of noise. I can't really tell what's going, but he stopped talking, so I bet he's knocked out. So uh, there's an earth... they heard like uh, 
scalp hunter like flying out the window <laughs> maybe or, or uh, uh saber tooth getting tossed across the city <laughs> quiet your transceiver i can't hear anybody else over your screaming so the earthquake i guess oh so uh it, you know it looked like madeline was about to shoot scalp hunter but the havoc must have made him go unconscious because now he's he's unconscious madeline's not going to shoot him and rogue shows up and they're like all right well, let's yeah, get out of here that doesn't make any sense but you know maybe maybe she did shoot him but she said it to stun first sure because we know this is like a phaser gun right because right, right. when it shot rogue it was all red and weird so they decide that they need to move the fight elsewhere because other people might get hurt Wolverine says the mission, like their mission is Madeline. So Rogue, get Madeline out of here and then we'll have effectively won. And uh, I'm the leader, so I guess I'll go take care of Havoc. Wolverine wonders where the Korean guy went, which I guess Scrambler's the Korean guy. Yeah, he, he crawled away. So I guess rather than get shot, he just ducked into his hands and was like, don't shoot me. And Wolverine's like, I can follow his trail easy, only I got to take care of the team, look after them. So a little growth moment for Wolverine. Well, he's a leader now. So they fly off. Madeline has a moment of everyone's getting hurt because of me. Rogue's like, yep, sorry. Marry into the X-Men family. I guess you have to catch a lot of X-Men grief. So they're flying by a building construction that's mostly just girders in a frame at this point. And as they fly by, the building starts following them and, I don't know, ensnares them. And then I was like, Magneto? Yeah, why is Magneto here? Oh, maybe he, he's helping, but he, he's helping the wrong team. But it's Polaris. And well, sort of. <laughs> even Rogue is like, Lorna Dane, I don't believe this. Polaris, how could you be working with the Marauders? Madeline Pryor says, I... I know you because Lorna Dane was at her wedding. Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, that's when Lorna Dane says, silly girl, I lead the Marauders. And she's like, you're the green haired girl from my wedding. How could I forget? <laughs> and the rest of the X-Men kind of get their senses together. The the dump truck, we'll call it, uh, <laughs> pulls up directly underneath of the uh, metallic mess that of girders that has been created. More of Havoc's luck. I appreciate that. Yeah. And um, Rogue says to Polaris, you switch sides. And Polaris says, let's say, darling, they made me an offer. I just couldn't refuse. And we get a nice clear shot of Malice's neck band reminding us, oh, yeah, this isn't the real Polaris. Right, right. The real Polaris would never do this. Right. And uh, so she starts dropping girders on these other X-Men that have shown up. Well, there's like they're all taking off from the ground. So she's creating like a girder spaceship. Ah, OK. Well, it's causing and, the X-Men uh, to run, run. Well, I guess this isn't the X-Men that's running away. It's the workers that are at the location. Yeah, those are. Yeah. Uh, so Dazzler comes up with a crazy uh, luck based plan that uh, Longshot throws his grappling hooks at the mess of girders and she grabs it and goes flying along after it as it takes off of the ground. Um, it's a terrible plan, but you know, she's got long shots luck. Hopefully. Yeah, well, she's counting on long shots luck, but that doesn't really make any sense because long shot doesn't go along for the ride. And I feel like long shots luck powers would be proximity based. Not like here's some luck. Let me blow you a kiss. There's no reason that uh, long shot couldn't also be holding on to this. Right. But I agree. This is Dazzler's moment. So, yeah, you know, we're getting we're getting a little minor arc for Dazzler. Yeah. Um, if she can't have the spotlight on the stage, she's going to have the spotlight in the fight. She's got some things she's got to get over. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she hangs on for the ride. Uh, the ride goes underwater, which she wasn't really, I don't know, considering. Yeah, uh, Polaris is going to basically drown uh, Madeline and Rogue, which goes back to our title, Death by Drowning. So mm -hmm. I guess it wasn't Wolverine, unless Wolverine's going to get underwater with them. That's a possibility still. Sure, that could happen. So Dazzler's under there, and she sees them, and she's like, all right, please let them be alive. She swims down to them, uh, sees that they are alive, and, and uses her powers as kind of like an arc welder to free Madeline. Um, Madeline takes off, and she's worried that, oh, wait, what if Madeline can't swim? But I can't really go with her, because uh, then Rogue will die. 
But luckily, Madeline can swim, um, presumably makes it. Well, we, I don't know, we, we guess we don't find out this issue. Anyway, um, Dazzler turns back around to uh, help Rogue out, and we get this, this probably my favorite panel in the uh, issue of Rogue looking back at her, uh, just kind of thinking, go on, Daz, you did your best. You saved Madeline, that's the important thing. Scoot, girl, while you're still able, no sense both of us becoming fish food. This way, the scales between us will be balanced. Be smart. Go. Yeah, there's definitely... There's a good panel. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely been some, from an art perspective, uh, really great panels in this issue. Not all of them, but a lot of really great panels. But this one probably uh, is one of the best. And I think a lot of it has to do with... Uh, this is going to sound like a weird detail. Uh, but that, that little white kind of reflection on her lip. I don't know why, but I've always <laughs> thought that that just kind of makes the whole image just look a little bit more three-dimensional. I don't know why. I uh, personally, for me, it's it's the the eyes. The eyes are almost dead. It's like it's like she's sort of given up. Yeah, no, you can definitely read the expression on her face. Yeah. You don't even need oh. these thought bubbles. You could take all of these thought bubbles away and you would you, prob- you would probably be left with that same impression of just go like I'm not mad. I know what you got. The mission was Madeline. We saved Madeline. You're running out of oxygen. Just go. Yeah. And good stuff. And then uh, Dazzler does go. She she takes off and she looks back in the last panel and, and then with a blink of light, she, she is gone and Rogue is alone. This is pretty rare, though. There's four panels of zero dialogue in which you kind of get that, that whole expression of, all right, I guess I'm going to go. She lets go. She swims up, turns back around to see what she's done and then keeps going. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an important moment. You got to take your time with these important moments. And so Rogue continues thinking about, oh, she never thought she was going to die this way and blah, 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 blah. Rogue, or Storm, Jesus, Dazzler <laughs> comes back. So I guess uh, I think she either went up, got some air or went up halfway and then came back. One of the two. I guess she had to get some air because she was running out of air. If she went up halfway and then came back, it doesn't make any sense. I know. Like, I don't know. But so she, she, but the, the next part here, uh, you know, she's like, I, like I told the juggernaut, I'm too darn dumb to know when I quit. Hang on, rogue. I'll have you free in a, oh, my laser, it quit. So, right. Powers are finite, but I was never clear uh, as to whether or not she swam all the way up for a big gulp of fresh air or if she swam up halfway came back to use the remaining ounce of power to try to freeze or free rogue only to have her power cut out i don't know it just seems stupid to waste four panels on her going away if she gets like almost there and then's like "Eh, i should go back i don't know because then she's like stuck down here and she's like oh i can't be out of energy no fair i'm sorry i tried i need to take a breath I've got to try one more shot. So to me, it's like she never did go up to the top to get air because she ran out of air a lot quicker this time. You know, you're probably right, but I just, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, But the cutting that she was able to do was enough for Rogue to use her strength to break free from the girders, grab Dazzler and swim to the top. And finally, they both get some air and they kind of make amends talk about how their team uh they're they're a team they got to stick together uh the past is the past what counts is today and tomorrow i can i didn't really accept that in my heart until now says dazzler and that's when polaris shows up how sweet old enemies becoming dear friends what a disgustingly charming picture i must say you pair are dry approving most delightfully difficult to kill i suppose i'll simply have to keep trying till I get it right. And her hands are outstretched in a villainous pose and she's got a pink uh, like blaster light coming out of it. That's it. Next issue, Heartbreak. Yeah, it's a two-parter, everybody. Stick around. This is a, this is a good cliffhanger. This was a good uh, action-packed issue. Well, yeah. It was a well, well-paced, good action. Uh, I guess the, la- the latter half of the issue was good action. I, yep, I've always liked this issue. And this... I mean, it essentially begins the arc of the next, I don't know, 10, I guess, well, yeah, I guess 10, 15 issues of the X-Men, more or less. All the Mutants is coming at some point. Yeah. So. Uh, it's like four issues away. Yeah. Issue 225, man. Yeah. So close, I can taste it. What does it taste like? It tastes like mutants falling. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, no, uh, let's see, did we get any stuff here 
I no. think we're all caught up. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, no no communique this week, but that's cool. We had a bunch of it that we queued up and, and eventually got out. Uh, so if you wanna if you wanna chime in, let us know what you think of this uh, particular era of the X Men. Uh, Sylvestrian Green, Wolverine's Knife Claws, you know, whatever. Drop us a line. We're at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go. You can email us, dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. We're also on iTunes. Just go to the podcast section, type in Danger Room. We're the first one that shows up. Or you can call us. Uh, we have a phone number. It's 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. And as always, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Uh, and we have handful of issues, back, back, backstory stuff. I can get my stuff through quickly because uh, honestly, the New Mutants are getting kind of uh, to the point where I'm not really sure if there's a lot to cover anymore. Um, basically, the the Hellions and the New Mutants. Oh, this is number fifty-six, by the way. In case you're keeping track, Hellions and the Mutants go after the escaped Bird Boy that's on the news. Uh, I guess in the last issue, Cannonball accidentally freed him from prison. Uh, unbeknownst to us, the reading audience, Emma Frost tells Empath that he's part of some secret plan she has going with the New Mutants, but she doesn't really let us know what it is yet. It has something to do with uh, magma. I mean, I'm pretty sure I know what's going on, but I don't want to spoil it for anybody out there who actually cares. The New Mutants capture Bird Boy at the last second after a battle with the Heliums and Amara then informs the New Mutants that she's going to transfer to the Massachusetts Academy. Oh, my God. Right? <clears throat> yeah, that's crazy. It sure is. Uh, Fallen Angels number five, uh, they, they even less happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I took one look at it and I was like, I'm not reading this. Uh, it's I can't tell if it's getting better or worse. I think this issue was better than the last one. Uh, the, the Fallen Angels are inexplicably back in their headquarters on Beat Street and all their powers are acting out of control. Uh, their, their new members, Devil Dinosaur, who is a giant red Tyrannosaurus Rex, and Moon Boy, who is a cave person, caveman, that looks like he's out of Planet of the Apes. Uh, it's like a cross between one of those Planet of the Apes people and, and a man. Okay. Um, they're part of the group now. Vanisher sends the team out in groups of two to steal food because they're thieves. Uh, Moon Boy doesn't speak English and no one can understand him but he figures out what's going on and he decides to go out with Devil Dinosaur to also acquire some food Jamie Madrax finds his dupe from the first issue that doesn't want to rejoin and the uh, dupe gets hit by a biker oh man yeah serious and he's like hey dude uh, I can make the pain stop if you come back inside and the guy's like nah wow um, and then Devil Dinosaur accidentally steps on uh one of Gomi's lobsters. Remember those? Uh, he has a blue lobster and a uh, green lobster, and and Devil Dinosaur steps on the blue lobster. Uh, they're both bionic lobsters, and this fulfills the promise of the cover that reads, this issue, an angel dies. Oh, see, I saw that, and I flipped through the issue, and I was like, who died? <laughs> it's on the very last page, and it's a lobster. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, X Factor was only moderately better than maybe what you just described. Uh, this really felt like a filler issue. Um, I guess maybe a bridge from one story to the next story. But essentially what happens is Rusty and Richter fight. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of what happens here. Like Rusty's like, the X Factor, you know, X Factor is good and they doing all the stuff and exterminators are just to find mutants and Richter's like, I'm angry and I shake all the time. There know. was a lot of poorly written argument dialogue in this that I just couldn't get into because uh, Louise Simonson was having an off day. Yeah. Because <laughs> all of this, I get what they're getting at with the arguing, but it was just so poorly scripted that it, it just was like, this is, this is not good. Yeah, it's not a good issue. Uh, Beast, well, X-Factor, they all come back from a mission. Remember, Beast was touched by Pestilence, and uh, Iceman's powers are still overpowered from whatever Loki did to him. So there's a lot of Leech, you know, trying to keep powers under control and them dealing with Beast and, and such. Uh, also recall that Central Park is basically completely covered in snow, 
So after Rusty and Richter have their little fight, Rusty decides he's going to go do something about this. So he heads out to Central Park in an attempt to melt some snow. Uh, when a gang of punks who are beating up like a homeless person see the light in Central Park, and they're like, oh, it must be a mutie. Muties did this to our park. We should shoot them with our gun. And (laughs) so the guy shoots his gun, which causes a whole bunch of snow to fall on Rusty. And then the punks are like, where'd the the light go? And that's when Artie is like, all right. He gets essentially all the kid mutants together and is like there's something wrong with rusty we have to go get him so they go they find a bunch of like anti-mutant posters they tear them all up but the police don't like that so they chase after them uh eventually making their way to central park where the punks have accidentally stumbled across rusty's body in the snow and they're getting ready to deal with him when he bursts into flames. Skids comes along, protects him with her shield. The punks run away, and there's a little bit more arguing. Uh, but then Rusty and Richter decide to cooperate by using Rusty's flame power to melt, Richter's shaking power to drop some snow, and together... They are able to melt and deal with all of the snow, but leave behind the words, by their deeds you shall know them, mutants were here. Which is hearkening back to a couple of issues ago when Iceman decided that he wanted to become the poster boy for mutant tolerance. (laughs) And so uh, Iceman has woken up and he's like, oh, I'm feeling better and there's a mission that I kind of want to go on, but I don't know if I should. And Richter's like, go on, we can take care of the X-Factor stuff. It's all in good hands. Yeah, so through this whole issue, uh, Iceman has been like near death and not able to control his powers. But uh, I guess after 24 hours, he feels much better. And it's good because the, what he's talking about is a mission that cyclops and gene just got a call about which is a gray giant terrorizing a town in illinois which takes us over to the incredible hulk number 336 because the hulk's gray now yeah don't ask don't ask it literally says like yeah he's gray don't ask (laughs) this one's interesting because it's it's penciled by todd mcfarlane who is not quite the todd mcfarlane that we know for spider-man not quite there yet. No, nope, although you, that's when he starts inking himself is when he becomes that, right? Yes. Uh, in anything that I've ever seen that is inked by somebody else, I don't see Todd McFarlane. I only see Todd McFarlane when he's inking himself, which I feel like is him just covering up a lot of his mistakes with ink. <laughs> I definitely see it in the faces. Like his faces are kind of always the same. Uh yeah, like long usually. Um, I, there's there's just a very very, uh, very, it's a very, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's, it's a style that I recognize as, oh, that's a Todd McFarlane face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe like nothing in this issue screams like this will one day be like the highest paid Marvel artist. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> but you know, we all got to start somewhere. Although honestly, it's not going to be that long before he joins Spider-Man. So, uh, somebody must've saw something. Yeah. Uh, this issue, essentially, the Hulk is gray. Somebody calls X-Factor, uh, because they see the Hulk transform back to Bruce Banner, which, um, the deal with the Hulk right now is he's only the Hulk at night. So every, uh, like 12 hours he transforms back to Bruce Banner and then every 12 hours he transforms to the Hulk again. Which is kind of the way it was in like the very first issues of the Hulk. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the limited series bef- um, before the, before he was part of Tales to Astonish or whatever it was. Yep. Which I actually own those. I really should read them. I read, I downloaded, no, I bought Somehow I obtained the first run of Hulk issues. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, (laughs) You know, including, you know, him running out and getting blasted by gamma rays. Uh, And in those days, uh, yes, it was when the moon came out. He was like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing, which I think they quickly changed because I bet that that was really difficult to write stories about more than like three. <laughs> well, Peter David decided to go for it again. Well, sure. Everything that's old becomes new again. So why not? 
Yeah. It's something to do a with bit of, uh, gamma bass go is going on, or something to do with gamma bass is going on here. There's a Rick Jones Hulk. Uh, bunch, I don't know. There's a bunch of hulky things happening. Yeah, there was there was a Rick James or Rick, Rick James. James. Is, is that his name? Rick. <laughs> Rick Jones. There was a Rick Jones Hulk, but he's no longer the Hulk. Uh, Bruce Banner sacrificed him. Well, Bruce Banner wasn't the Hulk, but then Rick Jones was the Hulk. So Bruce Banner sacrificed himself to be the Hulk again and made Rick Jones not be the Hulk again. And that's how he became the Gray Hulk instead of the Green Hulk. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. More Hulk than you needed to know. Uh, we get some X Factor in here where Bobby is trying to get his powers back in shape, but he's still unable to control the uh, size of his ice cavalcade <laughs> it's a it's a big he tried to shoot a like a little ice ball but he shoots like a buick sized ice ball yep at any rate um they gene and scott are not sure that they want to bring bobby on the mission but he's like i, I really do want to go i just i got to get out of the office um the guy who called in x factor is having a moral dilemma about whether or not he uh, should turn in Bruce Banner. See, he's strapped for cash, and he thinks all muties are just like evil muties. But when he gets starting to talk to Bruce Banner, he's like, oh, man, this is a real guy with real feelings, and he has like a wife and stuff. But then yeah. he bumps into his girlfriend who's like, I'm pregnant, and I don't have any money, and we work at Sears, and we don't pay us no money. And he's like, oh, man, I need that X-Factor check. And, that, and that's an interesting thing because we know that X-Factor demands money. Much like the Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, also earlier in the issue, uh, they're talking more and more about this whole X Factor thing and how it's terrible and it's giving people the wrong impression about mutants. And, and maybe they need to back off of this whole like, we're mutant hunters uh, and try to uh, educate people a little bit more. So when they initially encounter the guy and they're like, hey, we're X Factor. And the guy's like, oh, right. He's in the other room. Just hang on a second. Where's my money? They're like, what? Mutants aren't here to be bought and sold. Yeah. He wants a finder's fee. And they say... No, <laughs> you can't barter for somebody's life. Right. And they're, they, they're coming out with their new X Factor lines, which are basically like, we're here to help him. We're here to give him some human compassion. And, uh, but Bruce Banner is left. So they, they don't know where he is, uh, but he's actually wandering about deciding whether or not he wants to go back to Gamma Base, um, knowing that his time is running out and he's eventually going to turn back into the Hulk. Uh Bobby spots him on the street and says, hey, hey, Bruce, what's going on? I know you. We, we know each other from somewhere. Uh, well, uh, the Defenders probably. Um, right? Or Yeah, yeah I guess. I, I suppose they, they must have crossed over at some point. I thought they uh, – Bobby only joined the Defenders after uh, everybody – all the main Defenders left, like Silver Surfer, Doctor Strange, and Hulk. I thought they all left well, before – Bobby and Angel showed up, but I don't know. Well, he read the Defender files. I'm sure they've crossed over at some point. Well, and uh, the Hulk, not Bruce Banner, but the Hulk was in uh, the last issue of the old series of the X-Men. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and the uh, Bobby and Angel and Beast also showed up in that Hulk annual that we covered with the uh, with Master Mold. Plus, I got to imagine that Bruce Banner and the Hulk have been referenced on television numerous times well bobby approaches him with like a like hey you know me i know you sort of attitude so i don't know true they must have met at some point i'm willing to accept that maybe they met off comic <laughs> <laughs> at a superhero convention yeah remember that time that everybody was like uh it was hulk day and all the superheroes came out to yes. celebrate bruce banner and the hulk yes i bet bobby was like hey I'm a really big fan of your work. And they, they, they went out for coffee and they really got to know each other. Yes. <laughs> I think that that's what happened. Um, but uh, Bruce Banner is, uh, he's like, there's this sole subplot with Gamma Base and S.H.I.E.L.D. And he sees the X-Factor uniforms. He's like, oh man, it's S.H.I.E.L.D. I got to get out of here. And so he's running away from Bobby because he, uh, he doesn't know who Bobby is. He jumps in front of a train in order to uh, avoid X-Factor, who is following him, still thinks they're S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And, and uh, at the exact moment that he runs into the train, the clock strikes whatever time it strikes when he turns into the Greyhawk. And then the Greyhawk picks up the train and 
throws it at X Factor's car. Yeah. So you're from Shield, huh? Well, Shield just held from this. Oh, Hulk is a. Uh, he talks now. He's, yeah. He's very talky. He probably has like a Brooklyn accent. Because <laughs> <laughs> why not? Or maybe he's maybe he's like a mafioso type of guy. I don't know. <laughs> just pick your favorite stereotype. And that's what he is. He throws the train at the X-Men, uh, or I'm sorry, X-Factor, uh, and uh, there's they can't win, right? Like, Cyclops is blasting him. It does no good. Gene's using telekinesis against him. It does no good. Eventually, they're, I, they're actually kind of stupid because, like, he just says, I'm going to leave now, and then they go after him. Yeah. We should just left him, let him go. Well, there's also kind of like a little dilemma of like, well, what would we even do if we captured him? We can't <laughs> contain him. It's the Hulk. <clears throat> but eventually, they uh, Iceman just oh, supercharges his powers and just lets loose um, and super freezes this whole area, including the Hulk, so much so that Hulk, he, he, he can't break free. Well, that's a first. I know. It's the first time his powers have been effective. Although he's not unconscious, you would think being frozen in ice you would be unconscious but i guess not it's the hulk it's like got to break out get angry get but so cold and you know he will yeah well something will happen i don't know um so uh, somehow cyclops knows that banner's last known base of operations was gamma base so he calls gamma base and, and that's where we leave off but he, even he got like a hint of like, oh, there's something seems to be off with Gamma Base. Like he was running away from it for some reason. Yeah, true. But he he uh, he doesn't know what else to do, essentially. Yeah. So what like, do we do with the Hulk? Hope I'm not making the wrong decision. Yeah. So we'll find out next time on The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics commentary podcast for the Hulk. Right. Because apparently X-Factor's not done with the Hulk yet. Oh, no. We got at least six more issues of the Hulk to go. All right. It's just one. All right. Well, there you go. That That's that's fun. That's another episode in the bag. Yeah? 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 So there is... Actually, what issue was this of Hulk? 336. Oh, interesting. For whatever reason, because um, I was reading this on my laptop... Uh, that those two issues are featured in the Fall of the Mutants trade paperback volume number two. Yes, they're also in the Fall of the Mutants omnibus, as is issue 340, where Hulk crosses over with the X-Men. Right. And um, and that gives you that classic McFarlane uh, cover with Wolverine's claws, where you see the Hulk reflected in Wolverine's claws. Yes, and for whatever Which reason, is that issue... One of the most iconic covers of all time. That issue is in The Fall of the Mutants, volume number one. Because uh, your volume number one covers the X-Men stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm trying to find that cover. Because uh, everybody... Here it is. Here's a painting of it anyways. Everyone loves that cover. I don't. I, no, why not? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, like, I don't like Wolverine's mouth. It's a... It's a well, I think it mirrors Hulk's mouth, so I don't know. It's a McFarlane thing. I don't know. It's it's more of a concept that's cool than anything else. I don't think we've ever seen somebody reflected in Wolverine's uh, claws before. No. I mean, I get it. It's neat. Uh, it's a neat idea. I just feel that it could have been uh, executed better. Well, you could probably say that about most McFarlane things. I mean, McFarlane's great for the time but like looking back at his stuff it's not as good as i remember it it would be interesting to go look at his spider-man series not like uh i don't know if he was doing amazing or spectacular but like his spider-man series right yeah uh with 2018 eyes because you know back in the day well that was like it was the hottest thing ever it was the bomb man so good yeah all right so i found he started doing spawn and i was like yeah um, yeah, so conceptually it's good. His cowl is good. The claws are also a little weird. They're they're kind of backwards. I mean, I get, like, he drew the claws, and maybe, we're, like, we're way ahead of ourselves. Like, we should probably save this for that particular episode. <laughs> but, I don't know, I guess we're on a tear. The claws just don't look like they would pop out of the little brackety things that the claws come out of. Like, the tops are, like, way thicker than the base. See, McFarlane is more of a Michael Bay-style uh, creator. Like, he has these... Or, no, not, not Michael Bay. Um, uh, who's the guy who directed Justice League? Oh, uh, God, I don't know. Uh, uh, that guy. 
that guy's really uh, everybody. Everybody on the on the internet is screaming right now. Zack Snyder. Uh, <laughs> yes, Zack Snyder. Okay. Zack Snyder is a very conceptual guy. He he has these great visual concepts. Yeah, but and then he turns the lights off. Right, exactly, and that that's what this is. Okay, which which is which is you have this great concept, but clearly the claws were designed to uh, showcase the Hulk, and so he didn't even really care that they're t- kind of tilted the wrong way. Everything's skewed the wrong way. The claws are weirdly proportioned, and then Wil- Wolverine's mouth is just like way too big. Again, he's yawning. You just picture he's yawning. <laughs> I get oh. it. I get it. The, the concept is is cool and has never been done before. And to my knowledge, has never and, been and done. Plus, it's like Wolverine's first appearance was in Hulk. So this is like, if, if you're into that whole thing, you're kind of like, whoa, we haven't seen them together in a super long time. That's exciting. Right. It's a big deal. I, I get it. I'm just, I, I feel like it's one of those, uh, 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 what am I trying to say? Like, uh, um, it's a nostalgia thing for some people. It's like, wow, I remember that card is awesome. But then you look back and you're like, oh, everything's weird. Like everything's going the wrong way. None of this makes any sense. Like it, I don't you know. know. That describes comics in the nineties for me altogether. <laughs> well, we're not in the nineties yet. So I'll be interested to see like how the Jim Lee stuff fares. I, yeah, me too. Cause I, I have, a, I have a feeling that it doesn't hold up, but I could be totally wrong about that. I bet, I bet it's 50, 50. I bet sometimes it's awesome. And other times it's not so much, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm nostalgic for what we're reading right now because it's what I grew up with and, and reading it with 2018 eyes. I mean, I could find some little flaws here and there, but, you know, it's all in good fun. Uh, but for the most part, the, the stories still hold up. The art still holds up. So we'll we'll definitely see if that holds true as we go into the 90s era. It's a good time to be reading the X-Men. True. I mean, not now, then. I, yeah, I don't I, even know I what's going on. I have no idea what's going on with the X-Men now. I heard uh, that, well, there was a wedding, but I guess it wasn't the wedding we all thought it was going to be. Oh, did Emma Frost marry um, Sabretooth? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, good. I'm glad we got that that taken care of. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> my bad, my bad. All right. Um, oh, I guess if it's if it if it happened recently, it, it was probably a, a same sex marriage. Am I right? It's got to be. No, it's what? not. Wow. Do you want me to tell you what it was? Sure. All right. So uh, anybody reading the X Men already knows this, but uh, spoilers, uh, a, spoilers, spoilers, <laughs> right? Spoilers for there uh, was a um, um, uh, special. It was the Kitty Pride and Colossus wedding special. Okay. And I haven't read it, but I heard that uh, Kitty gets cold feet at the wedding and uh, phases through the floor, never to be seen again. And um, Gambit and Rogue are there, and they're all like, "Well, we like each other. Let's get married." Huh. I so, thought Gambit was one of the horsemen of apocalypse. If, that didn't stop him from getting married, apparently. And a marauder, if if I'm not mistaken. Hey, you know, th- th- that uh, apparently doesn't affect his ability to marry Rogue. Okay, cool. I honestly have no idea where Rogue or Gambit are right now. Uh, Rogue lost yeah. her, her powers, right? Oh, geez. I, you're telling me things that I don't know. <laughs> All right. I thought I was informing you. Well, not, not like all of her powers, but I think she lost her uh, Carol Danvers powers. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's an intriguing story yeah. that we'll get to in 20 years. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's just let's close this one down in preparation for those issues uh, 20 years from now. Uh, yeah. So until next time, my name is Jeremy. And my name's Adam. <laughs> and uh, the danger room is closed. <laughs>